Last night we talked about Jesus coming and everything he said and everything he did. He was rewriting the image of God. The image of God had become so marred, nobody wanted him. The image of God was so skewed that there are people who said, well, if he's that way, why even bother trying? And, and, and Jesus comes to synagogue, and there are demon-filled people in, in synagogue because they, they had lived so far away from what God had said. And there, there are people keeping swine in Israel by the thousands because they're so far away from, from the Lord. And it's not, it's not that they... Um, they, they weren't rejecting him for who he was. They're rejecting the false image of him that was presented by religious people. And Jesus came, for the most part, he said, I've, I've come to show them your name. I've come to declare your name. That who you, the name isn't, isn't a title like Penn Clark, that's my, or my surname, Clark. It, his name is who he is, his person. And Jesus came to show people the Father, and, and partway through his ministry, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The whole thing is he's walking and talking. He says, Every pure, the way I touch you, the way I talk to you, the way I give to you, constant giving, never saying no, people pulling him in one direction, and someone pulls him in another direction to give, to give away healing. He just, he just never resisted it. He just went with it. And he said, that is the Father's heart. You think you have to beg and borrow and, 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 and get all your ducks in a row before he'll do anything good for you. Well, uh, that's not his name. That's not who he is. And Jesus' whole mission was to recast God. And he would use language that was so foreign. He would say, my father, my father this and my father that. And then he'd switch partway through, he's saying, your father, your father in heaven, your father. In, and it's like, if you can imagine people just, they're just uh, all of a sudden, just a, a whole body alignment, a spirit, soul, body alignment, like, father? Dad? And it was just whole new language, because they wouldn't even spell the whole word of God. They'd leave out, leave out a letter because they, out of some kind of twisted reverence, they would, they would do this because they felt like if they did do it and they got it wrong or something was uh, off, he, he would damn them. He would send fire out of, out of, out of uh, the sky upon them or on their flocks. They had totally misread his heart, and so Jesus came to write all of that. And uh, uh, I mentioned last night that one of the... Uh, one of the images that they had of God is he is an angry old man who's stingy, who you have to, you have to beg and you have to get everything uh, lined up, tie these big bags of seed in order for him to give to you and bless you. And uh, so Jesus comes and he, he tries to write that. And um, he does it through healing. He does it through words. He does it through sitting with sinners. He does it so many, so many masterful ways. His stories, the whole story of the prodigal son arrested them. It was a whole new picture of God that they'd never seen before, of a merciful God who had let that boy come back and put a ring on his finger. I mean, it was a whole different picture. 
of God that they'd ever seen before. There's other, there's the one picture I want to major on today is, is everywhere Jesus would go, he'd say, uh, he'd say and demonstrate, uh, my father gave this to me. My father gave this to me. Oh, you like, you like this message? My father gave it to me. These are not my words. I mean, people with their jaw would drop at the gracious words that would come out of his mouth. He said, they're not my words. They're my father's words. And he, everything he did just pointed back to the Father. He says, this message, this message, this power, this healing, it's not mine. It's the Father's. He gave it to me. He gave it to me. And he gave it to me to give to you. And he cast God as the great giver at every turn. Father, Father has given me the Holy Spirit. And he did, in a, in a masterful way, in a very public way, in a very powerful way. He said, the Father has given me a mission. He's given me a commission. He sent me. The Father sent me. And he sent me to do this. And he would lay out in the most gracious way what the Father sent him to do, this great commission. The Father's given me the message. The Father's given me the word. Uh, the Father's given me glory. And by glory, it's, there's so many, glory is such a complicated word, there's so many layers to it, but, but it's everything. The Father's given me heaven. The Father's given me a life in heaven. The Father's given me uh, his glory, his part of who he is to share with you. The Father's given me authority. But that authority's not for me, that authority is, is for you. The Father's given me power. The Father always hears me. He always answers my prayer. Father's given me fellowship with him. One of the most amazing things that got him in trouble, got, got, him, got him killed. He would go around and he would just pronounce people free from sin and said, your sins are forgiven. And, and the religious people, their heads would almost spin. And, 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 uh, and he said, well, my father, my father gave me that authority. I can forgive anybody. He's given that to me. What's the difference between saying, rise up and walk, or saying, your son, your sins are forgiven? What's the difference? It's all from my Father. It's all grace. It all works. It's the same, it's the same wiring. Whether it's healing, or whether it's giving money, or giving a prophetic word, or it's all the same wiring. There's only one piece of plumbing, and that plumbing works for all forms of grace. It's the same. And so he would, he would just give it away. It got him in so much trouble. Even the disciples, he said, you know, uh, my father has given you to me. I didn't even choose you. My father chose you and ordained you. And he would spend the night in prayer to hear from the father who to, who to bring into his inner circle. Mary and Martha, they watched Jesus, and they, he had spent time in their home. And Martha caught it. If you go with me to John chapter, thir, uh, John chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 11. She caught it. John chapter 11. It's all about the resurrection of Lazarus. 
Jesus said, I told you, if you if you'd stay with this whole thing, you're gonna see, you're gonna see the glory of God. And um, she's confused about what all happened, but but she says to him in verse 22, she says, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know, I know about the resurrection, the resurrection of the last day. That's not what he's talking about. But what an insight she has in verse 22. I know, I know I've seen enough of, of this whole relationship with you, you with the Father. Whatever you ask him, he'll give it to you. It's just, I don't even wonder whether, you could ask him for anything. You could ask him for anything, and he will give it to you. That's just the relationship that she perceived Jesus had with the Father. What an amazing thing that she caught that, and that was, tr- and that was true. In fact, when Jesus stands up to pray for Lazarus, he says, Father, I know you always hear me. I know the prayer's already answered before I'm asking, but I, I'm, I'm asking aloud for their sake. Because otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't connect the dots. But he wanted all to go back to the Father. That was his focus. Here's something about Jesus that I love. Is, is he presented Father God as the great giver. And God gave him everything. And then he turns around... And to these ordinary people who are following him, he gave them everything the Father gave him. So he said, the Father's given me the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to give the Holy Spirit away. The Father's given me a commission. Even though, even as he has sent me, I'm sending you and he gave him a commission. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to set people free. I want you to undo and outdo the works of darkness. I want you to go to the poor. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to proclaim this good news. I've, been, I've received this commission. I give it to you. I came as a bubble of light in a sea of darkness. I send you out into the darkness as bubbles of light. The Father's given me complete fellowship. I give that to you. You have full, full access. I'm giving you my name so that whatever you, whatever you do, you go before the Father. It's not that I'm going to ask or, I'm gonna, or, or no one else is going to intercede. You can go to the Father yourself and you can ask him anything and he'll give it to you. Go in my name. Ask. Ask for anything and he will give it to you. Ah, that's electric. And he turned around that openness, that ability to ask for anything, and he says, he says I, give that, I give that to you. Go, try it, ask. I remember I was teaching this in a, in a Christian school one time, and the principal came up to me and was really rattled and said, you can't teach that. And I said, why not? They said, well, the kids might ask for anything. And I said, That's, it, it's in red. I have to teach I, I can teach this. We need to teach this. She said, no. What if they ask for a million dollars? What if they ask for a stretch limo? I said, well, 
That wouldn't be in Jesus' name. That's not his name. That's, he never even rode a stretch donkey. He didn't. That, that's not his name. It'll only work if they ask in his name. They'd have to ask how he'd ask, for the reasons he'd ask, the way he would ask. And then the father says, that's no different than Jesus asked him. Give him everything he asked for. That's like giving you the greatest credit card you can ever imagine. A credit card you can never max out. And he's given that to you. He said, the Father's given me complete ask, access. Mary, Martha, she caught, she said, you, I know, you could ask him anything. He'll just give it to you. Yeah, that's true. Now I turn around and I give that same authority, the same access, the same, same ability to you. He said, I give you heaven. He's given me glory. I give you heaven. I give you access to heaven. I give you access to a throne of grace. You have access to heaven now and forever. I give you authority. I've been given authority over all demons. Now, I give you authority over all demons and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give that authority to you. Isn't it amazing that he gave it to those ordinary people? He said, I've been given power, authority from God to forgive. And so Jesus turns around and says, whatever sins you forgive, they shall be forgiven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. God will work with you. He'll cooperate with you. Whatever you do, he'll do. I remember stepping into a nursing home one day. As a young disciple, and as I was stepping up into this nursing home, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, whatever you do today, I'll do. Well, that just changed everything. I mean, that just opened up possibilities that never happened before. I just wanted to go in there. I just went in there like Jesus. I went into a, I went into a mental asylum one time like Jesus. I went in there, and people scattered I walked down a hallway in the name of Jesus, and demons fled. And there was a guy in there that, that, that it broke my heart that he was in there. He had been a pastor, and he lost his mind. And he shouldn't have been in there. They over-medicated him as an old man, and, and, and he became violent. And he shouldn't have been, and it made me angry. And I walked in there like Jesus. I could hear my sandals slapping on the pavement. And, I, and in, in five minutes, he, I sang, sang a few hymns to him, held him, prayed over him, and he went home the next day completely different. I say that. I, you know my heart. There's no boasting in that. That is, that is simply believing this. It's simply saying yes to this. It's saying amen to this. It's agreeing with this. He said, I can forgive anything. And then he turns around and he says, whatever you forgive, whoever you forgive, whoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted. We have power to forgive sins. There's been people that have so trashed me. And I remember driving down a highway and I, pr I, I prayed myself hoarse. I prayed that God would forgive them, but I, I started praying in that vein and I got beyond and I, and I started I started bringing forgiveness upon their heads like never before. I broke into a room I'd never been into before, a level of forgiveness I didn't know existed, where I'm standing before Father pleading with him that there be no record, no consequence. 
no curse, nothing but blessing. Oh, it was heavenly. The car just bouncing down the highway was filled with the glory of God. I wish I lived there. I, I don't. I camp there from time to time, but I, I wish I could live there. And the block is not on the Father's end. It's on my end. Sometimes here I've been given this great power to forgive people of their sins, and sometimes I, I give it out in little, little beans, little, little pieces at a time, like, oh, if they just did better, I'd give them more. <laughs> if they come up a bit, maybe I'll give them a little more forgiveness. I become so chintzy. And then he blows me away by showing me how freely he's forgiven me. And then he says, just forgive them. Forgive them the same way I've forgiven you. Wow, that changes everything. Now I have to forgive them completely, <laughs> wholly, from the heart. That's the thing with all of this. It's, it's, like, it's like the Father has given everything to Jesus, and then Jesus wholly, freely gives everything to us. Then it comes to us giving everything that he's been given to us, and everything starts to become a little narrow. In fact, I found a way to illustrate it, uh, illustrate this point. Uh, this, will, this will illustrate it. I was looking for a wine bottle to show you, and I couldn't find one, and I, I went up behind Nelson's house, and I found a whole pile of them. There's a whole, a mountain of them, and so... Picture half of this bottle is, is the Father's heart giving everything to Jesus. Can you see it? This is the Father giving everything to Jesus. Can you see my finger there? And this is Jesus giving everything to us. And then this is us giving it away. And for some of us, there's a cork in the end of it. We don't give away the Holy Spirit. We don't give away the commission. We don't give away grace. We don't give away forgiveness. We don't give away. We sit in, we sit in so many classes and take so many courses and have so much teaching, and we don't give it away. He was given disciples, and then they were to get disciples and give everything that they were given away, and then we, we don't disciple anybody. It's like, there's, it's like there's cork in our life. It was never intended to be this way. It was, this was intended to be a continuous pipe. The same volume flowing here, here, and here. That's, that was God's plan. But something happens in our thinking, and... and and the thing about him is he doesn't grab us by the scruff of the neck and say, hey, you, why don't you give? Why don't you do more? He just doesn't do it. He just says, I, t I told them to do it. I showed them to do it. I demonstrated it. And, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't get in our face and, and, and demand because that would violate the very spirit of giving, the spirit of grace that the Father demonstrated to Jesus and Jesus gave to the disciples. It would ruin that whole spirit by him demanding. If he told you to give, there'd be no reward. It would just be obedience. You'd be like the servant who comes in from the field, and he says, okay, now make my supper. Uh, that's just, you know, you don't give him an extra reward. That's just what he does. 
So for him to command you to give, for him to get a hold of you by the lapels and say, you will give away the Holy Spirit, it wrecks the whole thing. So he doesn't do that. He wants you to want to. He wants you to be like the Father. He wants you to be like the Son. He wants you to get caught up in this grace of giving where you end up extending the same grace that you've received and you just become not just a recipient, but conduit. You become a, a pipe. And your whole mission is to rewrite the name of God everywhere you go because most people around us think God's an angry old man who's stingy, who has to be appeased with offerings and appeased with, appeased with uh, all kinds of doing and rule-keeping and we have this opportunity to walk in their life and just show them what grace looks like on an ordinary person. Show them, and, and then we, we stop saying, oh, no, well, this is, this, is, this is what my father's like. I've, this is what I've seen him do. And then you point them to Jesus, and you say, this is just the way Jesus is. And it rewrites the whole picture. And that's our mission in life. Something happens where we end up, we become starving and we become be beggarly and become, uh, we, we lack so much, we feel so needy. The neediness isn't that you don't have enough or you haven't been given enough. The neediness is that we're not giving it away. Let's stop here. So it's not that you need more of anything. That's not the issue. You don't need more information. You don't need more power. You don't need more authority. You don't need more of the Holy Ghost. You don't, need, you don't need more grace. The problem is, is we haven't given away what we've been given, and that's where the block is. And so you just start giving a little bit of what you've been given. You just start giving anything you've been given, and all of a sudden, you see this fluency starts opening up, and, and next thing you know, you feel like you've got grace flowing, like something opened, and it really has. It's not that you need to receive anything anymore. You need to give it, and he's waiting. Isn't that cool? So when I meet, when I meet spirit-filled Christians who've got tons of more, they've forgotten more than some people have ever learned, they don't need more revelation or more information. They don't need they, they need, they need to give away what they've been given. You don't need more Holy Ghost. You just need to give away the Holy Spirit that you've been given. You don't need more power. You just give away the power you've been given. Everything works this way. It's, it's, he, he uses language like giving and receiving and sowing and reaping. And, and it's all sowing is, sowing, is, sowing is a bunch of little things. And it's a repeated action of a bunch of little things. That's what sowing is. And we say, if you give me some big, huge chunk, I'll give that away. And he says, well, no, that's, that's not how my kingdom works. The way my kingdom works is you give away what you have. You're, you just give away, like, you don't have a, a truck filled with enough food for 5,000 people, and then you start giving away. You give away broken pieces of loaves and fishes, and that's you just give away what you have. Isn't that interesting that they came to Jesus? It's called intercession. If it was happening today, it would be called intercession. 
They see all these people who've been on a three-day fasting and prayer retreat. Try to get one of those off the ground. And, uh, uh, but Jesus, of course, is the amazing magnetic teacher, and they were out in the wilderness. No shade, no tents. It was all sp so spontaneous. They didn't pack a bedroll. They didn't pack a sleeping bag. They didn't it was spontaneous. He's there. It's now. He's not going to quit teaching and, and, until they say, whoa, and they, they, don't say, they don't say stop, so he just keeps pouring it out. He's the great giver. But after three days, it's time for everything to move on, and they start, and the disciples come, and they say, well, these people, they haven't eaten anything. They'll faint on the way back. It's a, if you've ever been to Israel, it's, it's a tough journey in anywhere. It's just rocky and hard everywhere. Just to go a mile is not easy. And uh, we do it in air-conditioned buses, but they did it by foot. And... and uh, so they're interceding. They said, Jesus... We see the need, do something. And he turns around, he says, you do something. And they said, us? And if you put that in modern terms, just in prayer, it's like you going to, you seeing a need and you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, meet that need. If you could just hear, if you could just hear, you'd hear him saying, you do something. And you'd react the same way. you say, me, I've got nothing. Me, I, I don't have anything to meet this need. The need's out. It's so big, and I, I, I don't have any. And then he'd say to you in your heart, he'd say, what do you have? What do I have? Well, this kid here, he's got this basket full of loaves and fishes. But what's this with this whole multitude? He says, give it to me. So he takes it. He blesses it breaks it, puts it in their hand, and then to, says to this crowd seated on this hillside, says, go at them, go give it away. Imagine one of those disciples standing with a, the tail of a fish and a, a, little, a little piece of bread, and, and there's this vast crowd. There's 5,000 men. We don't even know how many women and children. If they're Mennonite-sized families, it's, it, it's staggering. I mean, it's staggering. And they, they, and they look at this little piece of fish and this little piece of bread in the other hand and they look at this vast crowd and then they turn around to Jesus and he goes and they go up to the first person so tentatively the first person that had to be the weirdest one right so they break off a piece of fish and they hand it to them and when they take their hand back it grew in their hand it didn't grow until they broke it then they go to the next person, they break it off, and it grew in their hand, and it's even bigger this time. And they keep breaking, and it keeps growing, keep breaking, and it keeps growing, and it just, and it became hilarious. In fact, it just, it went so, a kind of crazy giving, I've seen it different times, where they end up, there are 12 baskets full of food left over, because it just, it, out, it, it, it outgrew their hands, and everyone was satisfied. And the Lord says, I want, I want to give, but I'm not going to do it unless I can do it through you. This may start at you. This, this is a radical idea, and it's something I've, I've, I've lived with. I've, it's been growing in me for 40-some years. I've never heard it. It's different. You may not like it. It may, it may start at you, but I don't believe very much grace comes from heaven itself upon us anymore. 
I believe it comes from person to person. It's the grace of God moving from heart to heart, not coming from heaven upon you in your prayer closet. It's, it's already, all the grace that you need has already been given 2,000 years ago. It's us being recipients of it and us being able to give it away. Very little grace comes from heaven itself upon you. All the more reason we need to stay close to the body of Christ. All the more reason we need connections. All the more reason we need to network. All the more reason we need each other. All, I, I am a recipient of grace, but most of us come through people. I've received gifts. I've received, I've received callings, but it's come through people. I could tell you when, where, who. It didn't come in my prayer closet. It began there. I wrestled there. I, I sorted stuff out in my prayer closet. I began asking in my prayer closet. But when he finally gave it to me, it came through people. Everything that God wants to give, and that's a big statement, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say everything that he wants to give in terms of grace is going to come through people. It doesn't take a lot of humility. Both Peter and James both said God gives grace to the humble. It doesn't take a lot of humility to receive from Jesus. Jesus is perfect. He's altogether lovely. His theology is perfect. What takes humility is receiving from me or from each other. That takes humility. Because we're not perfect and we're not whole. And our theology is not perfect. Man, that takes, it takes humility to say, okay, I'm praying to God, but I receive grace through other people. I would say all grace flows that way. I'm just, I, I'm just reluct, a little reluctant to say all. I'm hesitant, but I'm, 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 I'm hedging that way. Well, have you ever prayed for a car? Aren't you glad they don't come from heaven? <laughs> I've, I've received so many cars, but I've given so many cars away. I've given houses away, but I've received so many houses. But I'm so glad when I prayed that car didn't land in my driveway, all the rust scattering in the different places. And we know cars don't come from heaven because there's no rust in heaven. No, all the cars I've ever been given, someone's walked up to me and put keys to my hand. That's why he says, give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. He wants to give, but his, there's, his banks are in the earth. The grace is in the earth, and he wants to give. That's why it's so important that we, we were involved with missions and we become pipes, we become conduit in this whole thing. He wants to do it through you. Here's a, here's a game changer. I'm going to lay this out. If I can, if I can get this out, it, 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 it will impact you. God prophesies Jesus into being. Took thousands of years to prophesy him into being. That he, God doesn't just do it. He has to say it first. And then, it, then he can legally do it. And he gets Jesus to come, and he gets him born by a virgin, and he gets this whole thing, and this whole constant warfare, and he comes as a bubble of light in a sea of darkness all by himself, navigates that whole thing, 
everybody hates him and he navigates that and he, and he wins the race and he goes to the cross. It was all that effort of him getting to the cross and everything, everything is accomplished. Now salvation is available for all people everywhere for all time, not just a few Greeks who are coming to him on some Judean hillside. It's for everywhere, everyone everywhere for all time. All that was accomplished and it's all in vain if we know this and we've experienced it and we don't give it away. Because here's the thing, this is the part that might shock you. God staged that whole thing with no plan B. He didn't say, well, if they don't share this experience, I'll have to get angels to do it. Or I'll have to put my big fingers in the clouds and pull them back and show my face and the whole world would come to me in an instant. That would be like a plan B. But he decided not to do any of that. And the whole thing is hinged on a risk that God is a faith God. He does everything by faith. He's the author of faith. And so when he said, he says, no, here's what I'll do. I'll stage this whole thing. I'll set it all up. I'll get it in motion. And if they don't tell the world about me, there's no plan B. If they don't convince people and get people to receive this good news, I have no plan B. Either they'll do it or the whole thing's in vain. He has no plan B. Angels can't do it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Angels aren't redeemed. They've never experienced what you've experienced. How can they, how can they tell other people as a testament, as a testimony of being a recipient of grace? They've never received anything like what you have. Is it going to be Martians coming back? Is it some UFOs going to come? And No, none of that. That's what people in the world are hoping for. But it's not going to happen. The only way it's going to happen is if you and I do it. You're the recipients of the experience. The only way for it to grow in you is to give it away. The only way that people are going to come into it is for you to love them up one side and down the other and rewrite for them. They have a twisted concept of God, otherwise they'd be all in. The reason, when I meet people and they're, they're not Christians, I just say, well, they just have, a, they have a, a skewed concept of Father and they need someone to write it. And if I can touch them, if I can just touch them, if I can speak to them. I remember sitting down with, a, with a, a, a lesbian lady and telling her, and I looked at her, and I felt Jesus inside me looking her in the eye, and I said, Jesus loves you. And she began to weep. And I just stayed in that vein. I didn't, I, I didn't argue. I didn't argue position. I didn't argue politics. It was just this matter that Jesus, but when I said it, I could feel Jesus in me loving her completely. And she just signed on so readily, abandoned everything. I didn't argue a single piece of politics. How can you resist someone who loves you so completely? And I could feel him threading me like a needle. I didn't have to argue, convince. I just had to let Jesus love her through me. 
took her to her first church meeting. She went to a meeting, and uh, she was there an hour early. There was no one there, and she just was so, so eager to come. And then we started worshiping like we just did this morning, and, and, and she came to me after. She said, how do, how do you get this ambiance? Like, how do you get this? How do you get this? I said, it's just, it's just Jesus. He comes. It's him. You're feeling him. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, once you've had that, how can you ever be content? How could you ever be happy? How could you ever be satisfied with disco music? I'm not saying anything to condemn. Hear my heart on this. I'm just saying that God has faith in you. He believes in you. He believes in you. He believes that you, you will get past yourself and past your inhibitions and past what other people think, and you will begin telling people what Jesus is really like and what the Father's like, and you'll start rewriting the script. He just believes that you're, you're, you'll do it. <laughs> I'll tell you how, what he's like. This is what he's like. Saul of Tarsus is in a room, and he hasn't eaten for three days and three nights. He's sitting there in complete darkness. He's blind. And Jesus gives him a vision and speaks to him, visits him in this, in this condition, and said, there's a guy coming. His name is Ananias. This is what he looks like. Here's his picture. Showed him his face. And he said, he's going to come. He's going to fill in the gaps and tell you what you need to do. And then it goes away. Then he, he goes to Ananias' house, all in prayer, all in the spirit. And Jesus comes in and says, Ananias, yes, Lord. There's a guy in town named Saul. He said, yeah, I, I heard he's a here. I heard he's, he's a killer. He's a, he's a killer. He's small, but he's a killer. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a killer. He's a special minister of mine. And I told him that you would come and lay hands on him. He'd receive his sight and receive the, uh, the Holy Spirit and much more. And, 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 and I have a special plan for him. He's going to stand before kings. Now, he shows Saul and then goes to get consent from Ananias because he believes in Ananias. He believes Ananias will go to the room of a killer. He believes in him. God is so faith-oriented. Everything he does is by faith. I would have gone and made sure that Ananias was on board. Then why run the risk? What if, that, what if he says no? What if he says, uh, you know, we've got, we've got Frisbee tonight. We've got, I've got band practice. And this guy's he's a killer. Ananias says, yes, Lord. Can you imagine walking in there, and this guy's got a reputation, and, and it's not just that he might have killed, he has, he is a killer. And he goes in there and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way has appeared to me. And this is what he says, and he relays to him what Jesus said. 
Then he lays hands on him and scales fell off his eyes. And he looks at this Ananias, this, this disciple, this ordinary disciple. He says, tell me what to do. He says, well, let's go down to the river. We're going to get you baptized. You're going to confess your sins. He hadn't had a chance to confess his sins in, in a public way. But that's, that's my father. I mean, he believed in Ananias. He, listen now, he believes in you. He believes in you. I had this picture one time when I was a brand new Christian. I pictured a big piece of plywood with my city on it and all these, all these red lights all over the city representing Christians. And uh, periodically there'd be a, a green light, like a Christmas tree light. And, and there's people with needs all over the board, but... but there's Christians nearby, but they're red lights. And, and then there's be movement. A green light would go to meet the need. And I said, God, I want to be a green light. I just want to be so open. I want to be so movable. I want to be, I want to be available. And he just put me in so many crazy, crazy places and uh, drug parties. And I'd be in the midst of a drug party, and they're all going crazy, and I'm telling them about Jesus. And, Picking up, picking up drunks off the side of the road. I mean, I, I was just, I just wanted to be a green light for Jesus. Don't you? Because we've been such recipients of, of so much grace. So much grace. I just, periodically, and this is an admission, this is the truth. Periodically, because I, I, I don't want to let you have this impression that I am, I'm like this all the time. Actually, I get like this, just like you. And there's times there's cork in my life. There's times I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything. I don't want to run the risk. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't, what if they say no? What if they don't like me? What if, what if, what if? There's time. My whole goal is to get the cork out of my life. And that's on me. It's not like he's in there with this big corkscrew just trying to, trying to put pressure on me to get it out. It, it has to be voluntarily. It has to be from the volition of my own heart. It has to be from my want to. If it's not from my want to, he doesn't want to be part of it. It has to be from my want to. When people tell me stories of God commanding them to give and telling them that they must give and telling them that they must go and putting pressure on them to, to get out and witness to them. I just don't buy it because I don't know him that way. I don't experience him that way. I remember one guy, he told me, he said uh, that you know, he was all feeling condemned for not telling his neighbors about Jesus and, and he was wrestling with it and he did not want to go and he felt like God was putting a corkscrew to him to tell him to go to get out and talk to his neighbors. He said, okay, all right, I'll tell you what, Father. If, if a fly lands on my desk, I'll go. And a fly landed on his desk, like, the next second. And that blew his mind, and he still didn't want to go. And so, <laughs> finally, he's wrestling and wrestling. And, and finally, he goes out, and he goes to his neighbor's house. He trudges across the snow in the middle of the night because the wrestling has gone on all, all night. In the middle of the night, he starts hollering at his neighbor's window. And the neighbor says, who is it? He says, it's, it's your neighbor. He says, what do you want? He says, God loves you. He says, okay, go to bed. You know, none of it worked, eh? It wasn't God putting corkscrew to him. 
it, I think it has to be supernaturally natural. It has to come out of our desire. They have, they, there's no way they could ever make, they, they, it would never work if, if they felt that you were doing it and they were a church project. It has to come out of life. It has to come out of everyday life. It has to come out of experiences. But I think you can pray those in more than what we realize. I think we can say, Father, you stage it, I'll say it. You set it up, I'll do it. I, I, I remember walking into a New Age bookstore, feeling, feeling clothed with Jesus, and walking in there, really, I was only interested, I heard that they had a book, a particular book, but I wasn't really interested in being in a New Age bookstore. I resented their presence in my little village. I did not want them to be there. I've been praying that they were going away. Nothing happened. They didn't go away. But one day I, I decided to go in there, but I went in there clothed with this kind of thinking, this kind of, the cork was out of my life that day. And I walked in there, I went to the back, I greeted the people, went to the back. But before I got to the counter, she stopped me and she said, who are you and what, what is this that's on you? And she could perceive it. And I got to tell her about Jesus and for the next, I don't know how long, half hour, seemed like forever, we just got to stand there and she just got to ask all of her questions and I just got to love her up one side and down the other. But I wasn't afraid to go in there anymore. I had something to give away. I had something that she needed. I just had to get the cork out of my life. I wish I was cork free. I wish I was cork free once and for all. But it feels like almost every day I need to get the cork out of my life. Don't you? Let's stop here. I, I've said enough. <laughs>